Hello and happy new year, everyone. And I tell you what, I am pretty pumped because I'll let you into a bit of a secret. I am a massive fan of new years. Just that opportunity to sort of take a bit of a blank page, think about resolutions and goals and all those sort of things. So Mary, what you got for us? What are you aiming for this year? Very, very good question, Dan. So I was thinking about this and reflecting back on my New Year's resolution for 2020. And I guess as we're probably all very happy 2020s in the past now. My New Year's resolution for 2020 was all focused around balance. So having more balance in my life. I really like being busy. Generally, I don't like being quiet. But of course, the danger of someone who likes being busy is you say yes to absolutely everything. You get manic and that's not very good either. So I was trying to have a bit more balance in my life. So the odd yoga session, exercise to the extent it made me feel good, not being too busy at work, having a better work-life balance, all of that sort of stuff. And I basically accidentally achieved it during 2020. So of course, as we know, there was a lot less going on. I did have more time. I had more sleep, all of that sort of stuff. And I think that's probably quite good for me. So my 2021 New Year's resolution is to try and keep that up, which I think will be more of a challenge this year than last, but I'm up for it. So, And Dan, presumably you've thought a lot about this, given how much you love New Year's resolutions. So what do you have? Yeah, well, I was looking back at my sort of goals and resolutions from last year. And obviously you look at them and you just sort of laugh because, you know, there are all these races I wanted to run, places I wanted to go and stuff and come near doing any of them. Not that I want to sound hard done by at all by that. Of course, feel very fortunate the way things have worked out. I mean, it's a year where if you were well, your family were well and you still had your job and it's been a great outcome, hasn't it? It just is funny looking back. I mean, of course, it's been a huge year for us as well because we've, of course, had our son as well. So I guess the takeaway looking back on what I was thinking last year is just how surprising the world can be. And I suppose a little bit of a focus on simplicity. It's some of the simple things that I have achieved this year. And one perhaps slightly funnier one, a resolution, a sort of goal I set myself last year was I wanted to completely refresh my sock collection. (laughs) New socks are a real pleasure in life. So I did succeed in doing that early in January, threw away all my socks and completely got a whole new set. And it was lovely. And you know what? I think I might make it an annual thing. I'm not sure if that's a little too extravagant. (laughs) But I think for the pleasure it gives you, I think it could be worth it. And I also found a company that for every pair of socks you buy, they donate a pair of socks to the homeless as well. So that's also a really nice sort of cause. So I'm keeping simple this year. And I'm going to say, look, if I can achieve that, then I'm going to take that as a win for 2021 and go from there. Fantastic. I guess all those people feeling slightly hard done by because they got socks again for Christmas. Actually, take a leaf out of Dan's book, use it to replace your old socks and maybe you'll get some joy from that. Exactly. Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. So today on Investment Uncut, we're addressing one of those really big questions and we're talking about broadening the investment industry, something that's come up a couple of times before, back when we spoke to Sonia Loud last year, back when we spoke to Gavin Lewis right at the start of season two. So joining us for that big conversation, got a really great guest, LCP consultant, Sophie Carter. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Sophie, before we kick off with that really important question, could you give the listeners a little bit about your background, your current role at LCP and sort of the journey you've gone on to get there? So I joined LCP about two years ago. 
after having had quite a long career break. So my break was for nearly 11 years. And before that, I was an equity fund manager in the city where I manage funds for a range of clients, including pension funds. And now I'm at LCP and I'm a senior consultant in the investment department. And like lots of people here, I wear different hats. So one part of my job is advising clients on their strategy, manager appointments, etc. And then also I am a lead researcher in our equity team, obviously drawing on my previous experience. And I'm also a team leader of Team Barclay, the best team at LCP. <laughs> and also I, together with Laura Dawson, run the Women's Talent Academy. We'll speak a lot about the Women's Talent Academy in just a moment. Tons to get into there. Really keen to get into all of that. But Sophie, just quickly then, why don't you tell us one thing we should know about you that we won't find on your CV? Now, this is a tricky one. I think probably the kind of the funniest and the one that surprises people the most is that and I wasn't sure whether or not I should share this, given that we are in a business where we do manage risk. But I got engaged after six weeks. Oh, wow. I know. And my parents, my father's quite traditional. And he'd always said that when either my sister or I got married, he always wanted to be formally asked by our husbands to be. And so my fiance arrived to ask my father if he could have my hand in marriage and my father had never even met him <laughs> so it was all a bit of a shock but the good news is we're still married that was 1997 so yeah many years later it's all worked out well so sometimes it pays off to take risk that's a good lesson to learn I think yeah fantastic brilliant a good long-term risk return trade-off yeah I like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> indeed so Sophie, on the subject of, I guess, broadening the investment industry, and I guess in particular sort of broadening the appeal of the investment industry, you've clearly sat on different sides of that industry in your career. Do you have any thoughts on kind of, I guess, where we've got to, but where we need to go in terms of that big question? Going back to when I started working in the city, people didn't even talk about diversity. There was obviously a huge gender imbalance, ethnic imbalance, et cetera, et cetera, but it just, like, it just didn't get talked about. And so now it's absolutely fantastic that it has become the big conversation that it rightly should be. And I mean, I see and I speak to colleagues who still work in the city and I think different institutions are embracing it in different ways. I think everyone is definitely embracing it, whether some are actually just talking the talk is something that I'm a little bit sort of sceptical about. So I think there's still a lot more engagement required, but we've come such a way forward, which is just fantastic. And I guess the other people are talking the talk or also walking the walk is such a big kind of issue. It's apparent in lots of different ways, isn't it? Because you get it when we're talking about ESG and responsible investment as well, that it's all very well saying you're doing good stuff, but we need you to actually be doing it. Are there any sort of indicators that you've seen that really demonstrate people walking the walk as well as just talking a good talk? I think we're going to talk about it a bit later, but for example, returner programs are definitely sort of evidence that there is that initiative in place. And I'm seeing lots of organisations now are running activities and training sessions which are more focused on maybe just women or people from other ethnic backgrounds. So I think there's definitely evidence it's happening. 
Well, and actually, well, let's talk about the returner program because that's been a huge part, I guess, or sorry, it's been one part of trying to broaden the investment industry a little bit. And I suppose part of that has been moving away from the focus of the grad intake being the only way to get in and then the sort of relentless march of the grads up the levels and through their careers. And it's, I suppose it's been recognized that doesn't work that well for a lot of people. And so a returner is probably a word that I only heard for the first time, probably, I don't know, three years ago, but now is become quite common, I think, hasn't it? So I guess my question is, when did you first hear the word returner? When did you first think about it? And what's your journey been like through that? Yeah, no, it's really interesting because when I was, I took a career break, I had, well, at the time, two young children that I just wanted to kind of be more involved in their lives, which was more difficult to do when I was in a full-time job. And so at the beginning, I was just like, so kind of that kept me fully occupied. But as they got older, their needs for me became less. And so I had sort of more time to think about where I was, where I was going. And surrounded by so many other sort of mothers who were in the same situation, who had professional careers which they had then taken breaks from and everyone was then thinking about oh at some point our children are going to be independent and then what are we going to do because we've got all this knowledge and experience how are we going to be able to use it again and you see some people going doing completely different things like setting up their own businesses etc because at that time there didn't seem to be a clear way of getting back in and I even thought at one point about retraining and becoming a doctor. Oh, wow. Because I had friends who are doctors and they work quite flexibly. So I thought, well, maybe that's something I could do. And then I thought, hang on a minute, this is absolutely crazy. Why am I going to commit myself to years and years of study when actually it would make sense to somehow try and get a job which uses my skills And so it was probably only like to answer your question, Dan, it was probably only about, I don't know, five years ago that I started to hear people talking about returner programs. And there were a few organizations that were really sort of driving it, like the Returner Hub. And then they did a great job at sort of engaging organizations and women in it. And it's kind of through that that I heard about this as a potential option. And I think we should probably just at this point recognize, Sophie, you've recently won an award specifically around you being a returner so I think was it the women in investment awards yeah and the award you won was for the most inspiring returner so congratulations and I guess interested to hear the sort of specific elements of your returner experience that led you to win that award really I mean there was such great competition for that award and so I was absolutely thrilled to have won it I think it was probably down to the fact that maybe I'm unusual compared to many other returners in that my career break was pretty much longer because it was 11 years. In many people, it's three, four years. So A, that, and also because I then went into a completely different job. So having been a fund manager, I didn't go back into fund management, but I've come into investment consulting. So I think those two bits probably made my application a bit different. And I guess it's actually great that that specific award was sort of highly competitive because if you rolled back a few years as we've sort of just been saying you probably wouldn't find enough returners to even warrant having an award so I guess that's a good sign of the right direction of travel. I think also the Women's Talent Academy was a kind of a key piece of it as well because I've used my experience to create this initiative at LCP where we're trying to encourage more women to join the industry so I think that also probably helped that application. Well, let's talk a little bit about that then. So what are some of the things you've looked at as part of the the Women's Talent Academy? 
how it came about really was recognizing this sort of gender imbalance in the investment department at LCP and also more widely in the investment industry. So it was trying to come up with ways of helping address that balance. And when we looked at the applications that we get for graduate positions, there was also definitely a much higher number of applications from male undergraduates than there were female undergraduates. So we thought, well, okay, if we can start at the grassroots and get more female undergraduates to apply for jobs, then hopefully that will then evolve and become more women in the investment department LCP. So that's how it started. And we've just finished our third one. And it has been really, really successful, which is fantastic. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, as you know, Sophie, I've been involved in, well, one of the sessions in the Women's Talent Academy each year. It's actually quite daunting speaking to people who are at that sort of such an early stage in their starting to think about their career, because you think I really could make a difference in their decision of what job they go for in the very first place, which clearly, as you've demonstrated, doesn't have to be the job you have for your entire career. But by the time they come through the door as graduates, they've already made a number of those decisions and you're not sort of having that level of influence. Whereas when you see them at university, it is quite a different conversation, actually. Well, I think that that role that you have in the Women's Talent Academy, when you talk about your career progression and kind of your job and what you do, I think is a really important one because I think you are to them very relatable. They can, I suppose, imagine themselves in your shoes in the future. And when you talk about leaving university and joining LCP and how that's transpired, I think is really, really helpful for them. Because I don't think probably they hear that for many people. So it sounds like a key part of the Women's Talent Academy then has been trying to create these relatable kind of role models, I guess, and getting that message out there to the right groups. Is that fair? And what are the other things that you think have been successful that have helped create that change? It's definitely that. And what we've also done is that we have, it's not just a number of talks about the industry and LCP. It's also we pair each of the undergraduates up with, we call them mentees, and we pair them up with mentors who are female professionals from the investment department at LCP. And they are basically there to help them and guide them and answer any questions they might have as they make that transition from student to professional woman. So there might be loads of questions they've got to ask about how to fill in application forms, what to wear at an interview, all that kind of stuff that they might not have anyone to discuss it with, but they can hear it firsthand from women who've actually been through it. And I think that's a really important point that has such a kind of broader context as well, doesn't it? In terms of broadening the investment industry, whether it's gender related or race related or any other forms of diversity, actually the role of the mentor and the role of the role model, which can be the same thing, but aren't necessarily the same thing, is really just so vital in getting this kind of new talent coming through because they need someone they can relate to. They need someone that they're comfortable to ask those questions. And so providing that link, I think, is really important. Definitely. The other thing I'm always struck with when, so the session that I typically run is, I think we call it a day in the life and it talks around kind of what my role's like now, but also as you refer to Sophie, it's kind of what my career's looked like so far. And one of the things that I always focus a lot on is the fact that, yes, it's important that we get all the technical stuff right, but actually our role is such a people-focused role, which of course is one of the reasons why the diversity initiatives are so, so vitally important because it is such a people-focused role. But right at the end, I always give some, I guess, sort of tips for confidence in meetings. And I think it's always something that they ask for in the first session, isn't it? So we 
welcome them to the academy and we ask them the sorts of things they'd like to pick up from all of the sessions. And quite often, one of the bits of feedback we hear from them is that they feel like they may not be confident enough in meetings. I'm always a bit unsure whether that's because society has told them because they're a woman, they will struggle in meetings to be heard or to be confident, or whether it is their individual personalities. Because whenever I've met them, I've not felt that they had a reason to be insecure in meetings. But anyway, so I always do this sort of interactive session where I've got sort of images, clip art type images on the slide, and we're getting them to guess my tips for success. And the thing that always strikes me is how many different interpretations of one picture you can get, which I think, again, just speaks to the value of this entire approach an academy because the point is that they're all looking at these pictures and coming up with different things so I ended up I started off with something like five pictures and there were five tips and I end up with something like 20 because every picture someone will suggest something they think the picture relates to and I'll think actually that's also a really good tip that you've just given yourself it's a really nice way of getting them to talk about tips for themselves and exchange that with each other and what was amazing this time also was that we had 120 applicants so we had our most ever and it just feels like each year it's just gaining more and more momentum and this year we have 30 mentees whereas usually we have about 16 17 and we have to cap it because we also want our mentors to be able to give them as much support as possible and not to spread them too thinly but it was yeah it's just fantastic yeah that is really great good to see it going from strength to strength just perhaps returning quickly to the discussion of returners, <laughs> Sophie, I'd love to understand what that journey sort of really looked like from your perspective. And I suppose some of the maybe barriers or hurdles that you felt were there and ways that it could evolve perhaps in the future. I mean, it can't have been 100% easy making that return transition. I suppose I knew it wasn't going to be straightforward, which I think in some ways sounds silly, but it kind of made it easier for me because I didn't put undue sort of expectations on myself because I knew that what I was doing was going to be a challenge. And I had also, I'd spoken to people who had already been through it at different organisations in the city. And one of them in particular had had a really difficult time and she had joined. And I think this is something that LCP has done really well and is an important message for other institutions who run these returner programs is that it sounded like the rest of the team didn't really see, hadn't been made or they didn't understand what she was bringing and why this person was joining. And so she said she returned to the same job, but at a lower level than she had left before. And people felt threatened by her. So the people below her were annoyed with her because they thought that she was blocking their promotion. And the people more senior to her were threatened by her because they felt that she was after their jobs. And actually, she said, I wasn't at all. I just wanted to come back to work and do my thing. So having heard that also kind of prepared me a little bit about what to expect and how to manage things. And fortunately, I didn't experience that at all at LCP. There were the obvious things like technology had moved on. Like Whenever you join a new place, you've always got to get up to speed with how things work. But there have been bigger changes for me to get my head around. Also, a really silly thing was that I hadn't sat at a desk 
for hours on end. So I was constantly fidgeting and up and down and walking around the office and not being able to just sit down. (laughs) But now, of course, I'm absolutely used to that again. But that just that took a while. And I think I also just because I knew it was important not to put pressure on myself. I was really open to people about what I did know and what I didn't know, because I thought there's no point faking it if I am going to succeed in this job, I need to learn. And so I was just really open about it. And I still am because I did have big gaps in my knowledge. So I think that's something that's ongoing, Dan. I have to kind of do that all the time. I guess that's a specific feature of the way that you sort of approach the returner and the returner program and going into a slightly different career, because there will have been elements of your knowledge that were probably significantly advanced versus some of the people at your sort of job level when you joined LCP, but then other areas of the job that you effectively never done before in your career full stop, which I guess in one sense makes it easier for you to hold your hand up and say, I don't know how to do this because no one would ever expect you to know. But equally, it must have been slightly difficult knowing so much more than others about some things and so much less about others. Definitely. It's interesting because you sort of mentioned the so-called silly things like sitting behind a desk technology and stuff. But I guess those things are not silly, are they? Because it's little frictions like that that create a lot of these issues that we find. It's little things like that that do turn other people off, that do make people think twice, that just make it that little bit harder on the margins. I mean, they do matter, don't they? I guess it's just about trying to overcome them and trying to make them a bit smaller. So Sophie, your experience as a returner was, of course, that you took a career break, as you said, because you had young children at the time. And it sounds like the people that you'd spoken to that had been through returner programs were in similar sort of positions. I guess, has your experience so far been that typically people returning to work are those who took career breaks related to children? And do you think that, I guess, maybe then the industry has another step to make before there's less expectation that it is mothers that stopped work to have kids? Or do you think we're already past that point? No, I don't think we are. Whenever you hear these discussions or debates, I mean, it still usually is around that, which in some ways is frustrating because I know there are lots of people out there in different circumstances who are also kind of looking for a similar journey. But I think at least this is a step forward. You need the system to exist and then you can develop the system. I suppose there's also that point that's been made a lot about sort of tokenism. So you don't want people just to say, oh, fine, we'll take on one returner a year and we're done kind of thing. I mean, I guess we want to expand this so it's potentially as significant a way into the industry as grad recruiting and then have potential other routes as well that all sit alongside it rather than people just stopping at saying, okay, yeah, we hired a returner a few years ago. We've done that sort of thing. Exactly. And also what I've heard from some people at other organisations is that they feel it's something that's being driven by HR, but that the actual kind of businesses haven't bought into the idea. So some of the returner programmes I've seen aren't, the great thing about the LCP one is that there's an actual job, whereas some returner programmes are almost like an internship where there are, first of all, the competition to get a place is enormous. And then if you're successful, you then might be there for six, nine months And then at the end of it, they decide whether or not they're going to make you a job offer. But often I think people have felt that they were never in for a chance because the businesses just hadn't bought into it anyway, into the program. So we're never going to offer them a job. So they had some great training, but it wasn't kind of really, it wasn't the end goal that they had hoped for. So I guess really important for any listeners who are in the position of considering returning to work after a career break, it's understanding what the returner programme they're considering really involves because they're different to each other. Definitely. Sophie, I was wondering whether we could speak for a little bit about your experience of working on both the sort of investor side and the advisory side. Differences in 
culture, differences in, well, I don't know if you want to comment on work-life balance, but sort of typical behaviours, that sort of thing between the two. If I think about my job as a fund manager and what I'm doing now, there are a lot of overlaps in terms of, I suppose, the knowledge I need to do my job, but it gets applied in a very different way. So as a fund manager, everything is about your fund and everything is about your performance. So your client clearly benefits if your fund does well, but that there at the back of your mind, but really it's about the performance. Whereas I suppose what we do here, I think every single piece of work I do, the client is at the forefront of the thinking. So it's quite interesting that that's so different. And I'd never really thought about fund management being like that, but it is. And I think that also then makes fund management, it's a lot more about the individual. Whereas what we do and the work that we do, we're drawing on everybody's strengths and bringing it together to do a fantastic job for the client. And so it's a lot more collegiate. So I suppose teamwork is a lot more important and communication is a lot more important in our job than it is in fund management. And when you look from this side over to the fund management industry as it currently is, because I suppose the other thing we should reflect on is that you had 11 years out. And so actually the industry you came from has probably moved on as well. Can you see much development, apart from the fact that you're sitting on the other side, can you see much development on the fund management side as well? Or do you think some of those key features you just mentioned probably are still the dominant ones? I think they're still the dominant ones. And I guess sticking with that sort of same idea, are there any sort of any listeners who are investors, tips for them from the perspective of the information, the communication, the service that you want from them now that you're on the other side and understanding their perspective of it as well? The one thing that I would kind of like to see now from being on the other side of the table is that some of the reports just need to be a lot clearer and user-friendly. And I think when fund managers produce and they really need to think about like we do in the work we produce, we think all the time about the client who's going to be reading this. Like, does it make sense to them? Does it answer their questions? I think they need to do that in their reporting. Well, that's a good tip. So Sophie, there are obviously so many different angles that we can cover with this big topic. And I guess we've talked a bit about the recruitment side and Women's Talent Academy, getting people through the door. But of course, the other angle to this is the importance of retention. I wondered if you had any reflections on how we achieve that, both from a gender perspective for women, but I guess more generally as well. I think that's a good point because it's not just about recruiting. It's also once you've recruited people, you've got to make them want to stay in your organisation. And I think previously, what's interesting is that previously it was kind of women wanting to have more flexibility in their jobs because they had a family at home maybe that they needed to get home for. Their lives couldn't just be about their jobs. I think the world has moved on and it's great to be a hands-on dad like in the past that was never considered to be something to strive for and so I think generally people have sort of are looking for better work-life balance and I think some organizations are kind of they embrace that and the culture is probably more supportive of that than others and I think that kind of at LCP it's really interesting because I think the way we work and our culture it is encouraged for people to have lives outside the office we organize that we have lots of events we like sporting events entertainment all kinds of things quizzes and things which happen outside of work to sort of encourage people not just to spend their time working and it sort of creates that flexibility so I, I think if you can instill that in the culture of the business that will help people 
stay in their jobs because it will work having a job and having a life outside the office. It's a really good point, isn't it? Because there's a certain way of working that naturally makes it easier for people to do that, I guess. It's not a culture where you have like massive deadline culture. You have a massive kind of deal focused culture where people are sort of just naturally pulling all nighters the day before a deadline to get things done. That doesn't kind of work. And I suppose there does need to be a bit of a move away. And perhaps in the past, the city's been very much focused on that sort of culture. And the more it moves away, the more it opens up the possibilities for retention. And also thinking about it, maybe lockdown is going to help that because we've now all had to work from home. We've all had to have, all organisations have had to make it easier for their, well, they've had to enable their employees to work from home. That creates flexibility. So you don't have to be tied to your desk all the time. You can maybe going forwards fit your hours in to suit you like we've had to do now. Hopefully that's going to help. I think the other thing we've all probably had to do with lockdown is almost be stricter with ourselves about when we're working and when we're not because if we're doing all of that from the same building or even the same room in some people's cases then actually you do have to be quite strict on switch off time and once you've learned that skill I think it's probably easier to move it forwards. You've covered a load of really interesting points Sophie around this whole area but what's really the one thing you'd like listeners to take away from the episode? The most important thing to get this all to work is that you need to have organisations like buying into returner programmes for example You can't just have someone from HR saying this is a good idea. Everyone has to believe it's going to work. Otherwise, it's just not. And I think just going back to my own experience when I joined LCP, I definitely got the feeling that it was something that everyone believed in and was behind. And I think that's why it has worked for me. Fantastic. That's a really positive take on the whole conversation. And Sophie, what would you say is the most underappreciated thing about investing or about the investment industry? about investing really the thing that's most unappreciated I think is time is your friend we all worry about short-term movements in the market the sell-off that we saw on the back of the pandemic but if you kind of think about it in a kind of a longer term time horizon it's just a blip and so I think if you're in the fortunate position of being able to hold tight and ride it through then that's definitely the best thing to do great excellent tip always buy on a dip Good advice. Cool. And Sophie, any recommendations for listeners, podcasts, books, things you've been reading recently? Oh, well, yeah, I've just read an amazing book called Educated by Tara Westover. So it's got absolutely nothing Ah, to do with finance. Have you read it, Dan? I have. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's about a woman who was born in 1986 in Idaho, and she was one of seven children in a Mormon family. She wasn't allowed to go to school. She wasn't allowed to see a doctor. Her father was mentally and physically abusive to all of them and I think at the age of 15 she just realized that she just had to get out and her only way of doing that was education and so she saved some money and bought some books and taught herself the syllabus for the ACT anyway ended up going to university then went to Cambridge and is now at Harvard and it's just the most incredible inspirational story Fantastic. That's a really nice note to end on because next week's episode is a book review. It's not educated. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to read it quite that quickly, but we are reading books for next week. So that's a fantastic one for me to read next. It's great. Definitely. Sophie, it's been a great conversation today. Thank you so much for your time. Well, it's lovely speaking to you both. Thanks very much, Sophie. Okay. Bye. That's all we've got time for this week on Investment Uncut. Please do join us again next week. As I said, it's book club the return of book club next week we're reading Matthew Syed's Rebel Ideas so speak to you then take care
Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.